Hi, this is Mark. There are a lot of reasons to get angry these days, but I prefer to focus on the positive things that we each can do to make this world a better place. The book Building a Better World in Your Backyard, instead of being angry at bad guys, is a great resource for just that. Instead of throwing my arms up in frustration at governments or big corporations, there's a list of ideas that we each can tackle to affect change. Information about this book and other resources can be found at permies.com. Is it on? How do I tell if it's on? The stream is live. Where did, mine doesn't say that. Oh, it my. says it says go live. Is it on? Can you guys hear me? <laughs> yes, Paul, we're live. Oh, is it? Okay, all right, all right. You say that, but then all oh there now it says, do you want to end it? Okay, now that makes me think it's actually working. Don't end Hello. it. Hello. So I I read a thing. I read an email. It said your name is Tim. Is that your real name, Tim? Yeah, yeah. That's what you're sticking with. You're gonna go with this, Tim. And that's the name. And then the other part of it is, is that you you gave me money like foolishly. What were you thinking? Now now for one hour. Actually, more than an hour, because you agreed to do this live with other people. For an hour, I'm going to uh, make fun of whatever it is you're trying to do. And you are you really want to do this. You're like, you know what you're into. You know what's going to happen next, right? Okay. I'm, All right. I'm psychologically prepared. Okay. Now, are you like if you listen to my podcast, you've seen me do this to other torture other people in this fashion. What? Yeah. How do you know what you're getting into? Well, I've read the book. I've been drinking the permaculture, uh, you know, Kool-Aid. I've been, I've got Sepp Holzer pictures on the wall. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound like you're prepared. Which, which of my books did you read? Uh, I read the Building a Better World in Your Backyard. It's a great book. I enjoyed I, it. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You, you can, I want, I want to hear you say the thing like, oh, I couldn't put it down. I did, just because I just love hearing that so much. I slept with it under my pillow. <laughs> <laughs> we have a, a rating system at it, Permies for Books, uh, where it's zero to ten, where a zero uh, means uh, put this book on top of the burn pile. And uh, 10 means you can have this book when you pry it from my cold, dead fingers. And so it sounds like you're kind of talking about a 9 or so. Yeah, it's 8.7, 8.8. <laughs> 8. <laughs> I sleep with this book. And so, okay, all right, cool, my wife, cool. My, huh? wife is, my wife is the only 10 in my bed, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> I see. That's a good policy. You should stick to that for your own health and safety. Okay. Safety for sure. Let's talk about whatever it is that you think you're doing out at your property so that I can properly make fun of it point by point. Yeah. So uh this is my, you know, so I've got 10 acres on an island in Howe Sound, which is in uh British Columbia, Canada. Uh It's a pretty mild climate overall, two to three weeks of snow per year, if that, and occasional cold snaps. Um once we had a cold snap that was pretty fun because it froze the ice on my pond, but I didn't notice because I arrived at night. So I went and had my sauna 
and then ran and dove off the dock into the pond, not realizing it was covered with ice. So I broke through <laughs> the ice with my forehead and then uh, found myself in this hole in the ice and had to break with my elbows to get to shore. So anyway, that was good fun. But yeah, it's a mostly forested kind of cedar hemlock uh, fir, very steep at the top part. You can see on the topographical map there. So the top five acres are quite steep. Then it kind of uh, comes down to sort of gently sloping area. Like you can see on the uh, map there, there's two sort of more open areas. One of them I've created this massive natural swimming pond um, because I was trying to recreate the Finnish utopia of my childhood where you're, the dream is to have a sauna and a lake and you you know you run from the sauna into the lake and so i've recreated this finnish utopia uh, and now i'm now it's sort of an open book i'm i'm trying to figure out you know eventually i'd like to you know you read all these food forest things and oh i see myself wandering through the forest with a loincloth you know plucking nuts and apples off the trees and and feeling fantastic and uh but the reality is the soil is kind of crummy uh, you know, sand, gravel, clay, um, it grows trees really well. Um, uh, and I know on the island, other people have got, uh, you know, apple and pear trees growing. The nice thing about the island is there is no predators, so there's no bears on it. Um, so you don't have to worry about that. It's a relatively small. So occasionally the bears swim over, but then they usually swim off. And uh, so, yeah, I've read about swales and hoogles and, you know, all these kind of cool things. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, which of them can I incorporate into this uh, property? It, I don't, I'm not there all the time. So I, I don't live there. I live about an hour away. I live in the city of Vancouver. Um, but I spent, I'm there on the property probably once every four to six weeks. And in the summer, I'm there a lot. Um, I've got a wife and four daughters. So I live with a lot of, uh, a lot of ladies. So it's nice to get to the island and rebuild my emotional stamina from time to time. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm professionally, I'm a surgeon, so I have a high demand life. So I love to get out into nature and, and, you know, relax. So that's kind of the story. That's my dad swimming in the pond in December. That picture. Pretty fun. Oh, nice. So you're from the background. Finland. And, yes. And I don't detect any accent. So did you come to Canada really young? No, I went to an international school. So I, I English okay. was the language of my school. Okay. All right. All right. Cool. Cool. Good. Good. And, uh, yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't hear you saying a at the end of your sentences. <laughs> and I haven't heard you say a boot. And so, uh, it's like you, you, you're not as Canadian as you might seem. So, but you live in Vancouver, which yeah. is on the mainland. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Vancouver. And then this is on an island, but it's not Vancouver Island. It's a different island. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> how long does it take to get? From Vancouver, where your worky job is, to this property? Uh, it takes me an hour. So I basically go from my house to the marina. I hop on a boat. I take the boat about 30 minutes in the water. I, I uh, 
drop the kids and the stuff off on the dock. I put the boat on a buoy. I paddleboard ashore. We get on like a little redneck utility vehicle, little Kubota, and then we, you know, go in with our totes and our backpacks in about uh, nine minutes into the middle of the island. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> as I'm looking at this, uh, it's like, okay, it sounds like what you want, you mentioned food forest, you uh, talked about apples and pears, like other people have apples and pears, why can't I have apples and pears? I think that's what I heard you say. Where's my yeah. apples and pears? Did you take them from me? Was it you? In the meantime, your neighbors do not have this pondy, lakey thing. And they're saying the same thing about you. Why is that guy get to have a Pondy Lakey thing? And I don't get to have a Pondy Lakey. Where's my Pondy Lakey thing? <laughs> and so now, um, I'm going to, I'm going, I'm going to do like Sepp Holzer. When Sepp Holzer looks at a property, he tells the uh, property owner who has dreams and ideas to shut the fuck up. That's. <laughs> That's what he does. And I think it's hilarious when he does it. He just puts his, he does this. He puts his hand up and is like this. No, 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 you need to stop talking like ever. I don't care. So I thought, I thought, I always love it when he does that. <clears throat> and then he talks about like, okay, if I had this property, here's what I'm going to do. Now, the first thing, okay, you got 10 acres and, and, uh, your, your pondy thing looks really nice, although I, I do see the evils of plastic. In there, yeah. and, and and so step one, you gotta hide all that plastic to make it seem like it's not. There's no plastic. Just if if nothing else, I mean, I want you to redo it all without the. I mean, Sep, that's what Sep would say is you got to take all the plastic out. You got to take all that plastic out and and do it correctly. And uh, he's he's not wrong. Um, I think I might be a lot lazier than Sep, and I'd be like. Can I hide it better? <laughs> that would, and, but I do kind of think that like someday in the future, you might regret the plastic and you might want to do it over without the plastic. But I'm thinking <clears throat> bigger. Cause like, as I'm looking through all these pictures, I don't see any gardens at this time. Is that accurate? That's correct. And, and what I hear your words are is, like I want there to be gardens. Did I hear that yes. correctly? Like it was yes. in the subtext. I want okay. there to be gardens. Give me, damn it. Well, I see a major impediment to your gardens. And that is that you've True. got a, a a weed problem. Boy, that's a lot of weeds. It's the kind of weeds that you can only take out with a chainsaw. And usually when taking this kind of weed out I get the idea of building something or uh bonfires or you know, and actually bonfires actually bother me in a big, big way. But uh hugel culture comes to mind. Um so it looks like there's some cedars. So you mentioned cedars, hemlocks, and other conif coniferous species, firs. Lots of cedars. A, there's maple there and there's also a, quite a bit of alder. Oh, okay. But I don't think I have pictures of the alder. But I know, yeah, that was one of my questions is, you know, I know you can't put a ton of, putting a ton of cedar in a hugel culture is not going to be a great idea, but alder would probably be better. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like, 
I mean, cedar is really glorious, but you got too much. Yes. And I kind of feel like, okay, let's like, let's pick a, a nice spot and we're going to, we're going to start. And, and usually what I do is, is when I start, by the way, are you a particular kind of surgeon or you'll cut on anybody for any cheap reason? <laughs> I, I do uh, trauma, sports injuries, and joint replacements. So uh, orthopedics. I regret asking. Now all <laughs> suddenly, suddenly it's like what's in my head is cutting up people for those reasons. And I'm, I'm thinking like, why did I even ask? I should have just now you're, stopped. You're, now you're, now your knee is starting to ache. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think that the first step to do is you're going to have to, A, I, I wish for you to look at all this stuff and think these are weeds. However, I also kind of think that cedar trees, even in your area, well, maybe out on an island, they're apparently extremely valuable as timber. Um, they're, and it's called the tree of life. And at the same time, I want to point out that they have like about, if I remember correctly, like four to five times the toxicity of like a pine or a fir. And so when it comes to being allelopathic, they are very allelopathic. And, um, on top of that, the, the organic herbicides woven into the tree is all over the place. But I mean, the organic herbicides woven into the tree is pretty intense. It's, it's like five or five to eight times more than what you find in a, a fir or a pine. Um, however, cedars do have this thing when they flop over and land in a creek. They have a bizarre property of making the creek water better for fish, which is interesting. I don't know how they do that. I don't know what the magic is behind that. All right. All that said, I mean, the the water in your pond slash lake uh, looks very clear. And uh, how old is this pond slash lake? Uh, it's three years old now. Okay. I think it's looking really good. Um, oftentimes when, uh, when something like that gets to be about six months old, it, uh, it gets to be infested with algae and, um, uh, but, uh, this is looking very clear, very nice. Are you doing things to keep it clear or is it just luck? Yeah. So we, we, um, there's a, it's, there's a spring that flows into it from up the hill <clears throat> and we actually have a, <clears throat> excuse me. We have a separate filtration pond, so the water flows over into and through five feet of sand, and then we have a solar-powered pump that pumps it back around so that there's sort of constant circulation. Ooh, okay. All right, all right. That is that is amazing. That is excellent forethought and, and just good all around. All right. When taking on a new gardening project, I um, I usually suggest a quarter of an acre at a time. Okay. I would say go to go to where you want your quarter of an acre to be, 
and uh, and think, okay, I'm going to do glorious stuff with this quarter of an acre. I'm going to grow so much. And then um, there's going to probably be cedar trees there. And so don't pick your quarter of an acre on the attempt to avoid trees that you like. You know, the other thing is, is all of your maples and alders, I like the idea of keeping those if you can. But <clears throat> when you pick the quarter of an acre, pick it because this is going to be uh, as close as possible to your zone one. Where where you are most likely to love on this garden, that is your choice. Now, uh, I'm going to assume that there are spots that you can choose that are more south-facing than others. So if you can get some southern exposure, some, some south-facing slope, that would be nice, but is not required. Um, the fact that you have a pond says... Or, you know, even something creekish says that there are, there is a low spot on the property and that surrounding that low spot are higher spots, which would make for, you've got stuff facing in pretty much every direction. But, uh, the key, what's more important, because it's, it's kind of flat there, what's more important is it being close to you. In fact, if there's a trail between you and your rig, which it sounds like there is, even better. So this is, this is the whole Bill Mollison concept of zone one. And so I'm thinking that this quarter acre is going to end up being zone one, zone two, but definitely not zone three, zone four. And, and you got to pick that. Doesn't matter what trees are there now. You've got oodles of trees. Do you know what your annual precip is? <clears throat> Not off the top of my head, but in the winter it rains a ton, and in the summer hardly at all. I'm looking at the trees and the growies, and I'm gonna say you have, and forgive me because I'm gonna do this in inches, that you have 40 inches of precip or more. I don't, so more than a meter of precip. Um, and, uh, so a lot. You have a lot of precip. All right. Any of the cedars that you cut down, I think that the thing to do is going to be to, um, make, you know, bucket up into as long of logs as you can handle. And then put it up on blocks off of the ground, peel it, you know, limit, peel it, and set it aside. Because you don't know what you're going to do with it in the future. But I mean, don't, don't just burn it. Don't just throw it away. I can't help but think that, you know, you just take these logs and set them aside and prop them up and you'll, you'll come back to them later. And, um, uh, I would say 12 feet long or longer, but if it's too big for you to move at that size, then maybe go with something like eight feet. Um, and maybe later you'll carve it up and build something out of it or use it in some other way or something like that. But <clears throat> um, then for your hemlock and your fir trees, and in case there's any any alder or maple, 
then that's going to be set aside. Those are going to go inside of your Hugel culture. Now, um, you're in an area where it could be wise to do uh, some swales, but um, I'm going to start off by saying that for reasons I want you to do, oh, 99.3 inches. Wow. Wow. 99.3. That's like almost rainforest. Like, like this has got, this has got other comedy going on here. (laughs) This also means that your soil is probably going to be brutally acidic. Do you have any, in the, it looks like there's two cabins there. Do you have, and it looks like at least one of them might have a wood burning contraption in it. Do you burn wood there? Yes. So both cabins have a wood stove. The kind of living cabin has a standard wood stove for, for, um, you know, heating and cooking. We don't have power, uh, there. So we use the wood stove a fair amount. And then the other cabin has a wood stove for the sauna. Okay. You must, must have sauna to have happiness in life. No sauna, no happiness. So, okay, I've, I've heard this from people from Finland many times before, and apparently I pronounce it all wrong, and it's, it's like, uh, fingernails on a chalkboard to hear me say it. So I'm gonna, but the important thing is, and where I'm trying to go with this is, is I want you to save all the wood ash, and uh, that's gonna be super important, and on top of that, keep it dry. And you'll need a metal container to store it in just in case you happen to take the ash out and put the ash in there. And there's a, there's still a number that you're putting in there and you didn't know. So a metal container to store the ash and you want to save it. It's, it's critically important. (laughs) Sorry. So, um, let me see. There it is. Okay, I want you on your quarter of an acre, that's going to be your garden, wherever south and east and west is, you're going to trip some more trees to make it so that you get plenty of light to this quarter of an acre. And the the process is going to be the same. Um, There's going to be the cedar that you're going to put up on blocks, and prep for some day in the future. And then there's going to be all the rest, which is going to go inside of Hugo culture. Inside of your Hugo culture, you want to use the biggest stuff. Now you could argue that you could use these logs for other things. Do you have any like roundwood timber framing projects you were thinking of doing? Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, so I- Okay. Gone. <laughs> so uh Finns have this funny thing called a grillicotti, like it's a like it's a grill house because the weather's bad there often. So it's like an indoor grill kind of hexagonal shaped thing that's just cool. You hang out in there, you have a fire going, you grill stuff, you you know, you drink beer and you tell stories so that would be a fun thing to do greenhouse would be a fun thing to do too i've looked at your passive greenhouse design thing because that would also be pretty 
pretty fantastic. Um, so there's, uh, and then, you know, when my kids grow up, they'll want their own little shacks and whatnot, can do all kinds of little, uh, hobbit style shacks around, you know, for the next generations and friends love to come over. We had five families over, you know, kids all frolicking. So they like to have this and that. So yeah, I got all kinds of schemes. So uh, yeah, I have looked at your roundwood stuff and, Jim. And uh, lots of cool things to do there. One quick question to go back on the Hoogles. Uh, is it preferable, would it be preferable to just do alders or maple in the Hoogle uh, instead of the hemlock and the fir? Uh, or mix and match is okay, even even with the conifers? Like if I have oh, enough alder, even... is it better to just do alder in the Hoogle? My my answer is complex, and so it's like this. For the sake of the hugel culture, to be filled with nothing but maples and alders is indeed preferable for the sake of the hugel culture. Yeah. However, diversity is even more important, and mm-hmm. on top of that, you got all those weeds out there that are pissing me off, and it's kind of like, and I hate to see you, like, if you were to go and take down all the conifers and leave all the maples and alders, I think that we would, that would be a large step towards permaculture because basically the conifers are saying, you're not allowed to grow anything here but conifers. That's just the way we roll. And in fact, the alders and the maples are probably on the way out because the conifers are taken over. And so I won't, and so if I say, yeah, then you suddenly get this bright idea in your head, like, I'm going to go kill all the maples and alders and make all my hugel culture out of that. Then I won't have any maples and alders left. And I'm kind of thinking, like, what I want you to do is to get rid of all those conifers. And, and it's like, uh, and then I want you to leave behind because the alders are a nitrogen fixing tree. They're really they're working to build soil for you. Yeah. Whereas all the conifers are working to poison all the soil for you. And so it's it's so nothing else will grow but conifers. And it's like my guess is is that what you eat, the food that you like to consume, the idea of you going onto this property and eating food, you're thinking to yourself, I elect to not eat just conifers. I'm gonna I'm gonna eat stuff other than conifers. And the conifers are like, No, they've got a different plan than your plan. So and and I think a lot of people when we talk about starting a garden or whatever then a big part of their plan is, is like, and I got all these beautiful conifer trees that I want to keep. And it's like, oh, I've got some very sad news for you. <laughs> You're going to have to choose one or the other because you can't really have both. And so uh I like the idea that uh in in this quarter acre garden, you might have one or two alders that you just decide to let live. Because then they're going to put nitrogen in the soil, and they're going to be so happy. And then you could trim out their lower branches, and then it, you know, blah 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 blah. So <clears throat> I'm I feel weird about how to answer your question in that regard. Um, 
at the same time, I kind of feel like you're, you're, I love what you're thinking about building. That is exciting and cool. And you're going to need a lot of logs for that. In which case, maybe the thing now granted, because the next thing is, is like inside of a hookah culture, it's better to have giant logs than to have little sticks. But better use of those logs is to build things. And I kind of feel like hugel culture is a little bit of the last resort. So if you've got a bunch of downed wood that's already rotten, other than cedar, then that's going to be the best to go in hugel culture. Now I want to, I, I, when I say the word, when I talk about hugel culture and I use the word blotch, have you heard me use this word before when talking about hugel culture? The concept of the blotch. Okay. No. Well, I, I see Tina is in the chatty chat and, and I believe it's Tina that's, that's working with me to put together this hugel culture presentation we're about to do. Um, but one of the things I want to say is Tina, make sure that we got, you know, several slides about blotch, but Here's, here is my concept of the blotch. And in fact, have you seen my, my three movie set, World Domination Gardening? I've seen at least part of it. Okay. Might be worth taking a looky-loo because I, I believe that in there, when we're building Hugo culture, I talk about the blotch. And, and the blotch kind of goes like this. When you're building this big Hugo culture, you want to do the opposite of what's called lasagna gardening. And instead, you want to do what I call blotch blotches. And so as you're building your hugel culture, first of all, the simplest recipe for a hugel culture is going to be you're going to pick a spot. You're going to put a bunch of logs on the ground, not touching. And then once once you've got all your logs down in one layer, not more than one layer, then you cover it with enough soil so that you can't see the logs anymore. And then you're going to put another layer of logs on that, and then soil and logs and soil and logs until you get to the height that you want. However, um, I want there to be diversity on the inside. So it's possible at one end it's very heavy on alders, and on the other end it's very heavy on maples. And in a middle spot, it's very heavy on fir. And in another spot, it's very heavy on uh, um, uh, uh, something else. And then some spots are kind of a mix, and some spots are, you know, a little low on wood, and, and et cetera. And then I want you to make it so that some spots, you've got all these kitchen scraps you've saved up for the last four days, and it's kind of the smell a bit off, and you go splort as a single blotch, not spread it out. Don't spread it out. Blotch. I want to, like it's a basketball. And so they have, they know what a basketball is in Canada, right? You guys, you can, you can spell basketball. I, I know it's a big thing. I don't know how to play and I don't watch it ever, but I know what a basketball is. The inventor of basketball was actually Canadian, a very controversial thing to tell our American cousins. Well, 
You can tell it to me as much as you like, because I don't give a shit. <laughs> I, I'm a I'm a freakishly tall person, and I'm kind of sick of how many times people ask me about basketball because I'm tall, and it's like ah, I don't know how to play. I don't know how to any of it works. I don't even watch it, and so uh, th- and that's like apparently offensive. What you don't even watch it? But you're so tall. <laughs> Watching, watching sports, and this is another terrible thing to say on Super Bowl Sunday weekend, but watching sports is having the life minutes sucked out of your body when you could be doing something sporty this, or fun or alive. Is this Super Bowl weekend? Yes. Somebody, okay, it is. Okay. I, I, I didn't know there's, that. There's some who's, more controversy for you. Who's, who's, uh, who are the teams? And I'll see if I even have ever heard of them. Uh, I, I'm not actually totally sure. Okay. All right. All right. I think that, the, Chiefs, the Chiefs are in it. Chiefs are one. Okay. This this will generate the most controversy, this single statement. But, but anyway. <laughs> so, um, all right. Blotches. I want you, and if you can, if you know somebody who has a glorious, magnificent ultimately beautiful garden i want you to get a bucket of their soil from their garden and and try to keep it as a contiguous basketball sized blob and try not to break it up try to keep it all together and you want to put it in the bucket carefully and when you take it out of the bucket try not to disturb it you want to you want to transplant this this blob Kind of like transplanting bones in a leg, I suppose. <laughs> I'm sure it's exactly the same how you do it. Very close. But, Very but try close. to keep it contiguous. So it's like rather than like, and then, you know, it's like if you took a bone and then you scrambled it in a blender and then you tried to lay it back into a leg, it probably wouldn't be as good. No I'm good. saying this, I'm saying it's kind of the same thing with this blob because inside the blob there is, this amazing life in there and there's and inside the blob there's like uh a microbial life freeways and if you mix it all up you break up all the freeways and all the mycelium and all this aged beauty that's going on inside of it so you're not going to be perfect about this but you're going to try to keep it as a contiguous blob maybe you can get help from a surgeon or something and pick the blob out of that garden Put it into the bucket and try to get it to be as contiguous as possible to be transplanted into your hugel culture. And and you're not going to be perfect, but but I want you to be pretty good. And so, but that's going to be a delightful garden seed. The better the better you can keep because the, the moment that you open it up and it goes, then. You're going to lose half of your organic matter into the atmosphere, and and you're going to destroy a lot of the beauty you're trying to preserve. So do your best to keep it in a contiguous blob during this transplant. Be okay, so that would keep the whole blob together. Yeah, yeah, because there's a bunch of delicate beauty in there that you cannot see, but if the blob breaks, you're going to lose beauty. And so some people just pour the soil, which 
destroys it all. And then it's like the whole exercise is pointless. So do your best to keep it as a contiguous blob to keep all the beauties in. All right. Next up, um, you've got too many ferns. There's probably some ferns that you saw, and it's like, those ferns right there, they're pissing me off. Now you want to fill your hugu culture with the bodies of your enemies, okay? Like those ferns, those damn ferns. And so you're going to go get a whole bunch of them. And they're going to become a blotch. Yes, there they are. There's our prey. Okay, yeah, give them the stink eye, Tim. You're doing pretty good there. Yeah, like that. Like you're going down, Fern. So what I'm trying to say is go get a big bunch of greenery of a particular flavor, and that's going to be a blotch. Now, as you're building your hugel culture, you're going to have blotches, blotchity, 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 blotch. There's all these. So then when you start to grow stuff on your hugel culture, then potatoes are going to like this spot and rhubarb is going to like that spot. And, and you know, each spot is going to have a different thing that it likes that spot best. And so you're going to accidentally make this, this you're, you're creating diversity on the inside. Now, and the next thing I want you to do is with your hugel culture, you've got a little bit of sloped land, which is perfect. Good job. On this quarter of an acre, there's going to be a little bit of a slope. And I want you to imagine that when cold arrives, and as a gardener, cold is going to be not your enemy, but but you not your friend either. And so it's kind of like, okay, when cold comes to my garden, I don't want to make a frost pocket. I want the cold to move on down and go away. And so I want it to go away from my garden. So imagine these giant gelatinous rivers pouring onto your property, and you don't want to make ponds of a sort out of these big blobs of gelatinous cold goo. And this is imaginary. I think there might be ways that you can actually use a a FLIR camera or something to see it. But let's just say frost pockets are a real thing, and we want to do the opposite. We want to have zero frost pockets. We want all this coldness to go away from our gardens. At the same time, now, I'm going to guess that when you're sitting down on your lakey pond thing and you got a chair out there on that little dock, I'm going to guess that, uh, and you're, and you're sipping a beverage, which I'm going to pretend is water. Mmm, delicious water. So good. Then, uh, you're not really ever, uh, uh, you're, you're not feeling a breeze. Is it, like you don't have a wind problem. You're out on an island out in the middle of the pseudo ocean, but where the wind is famous for blowing. But you've got enough trees around you that they're keeping the wind off of you. So wind isn't really a problem for you. Is that accurate? 
Yeah, we're kind of in this valley and with all the trees around it, so, and we're not close to the ocean front. We're in the middle of the island. So, you know, when there's a massive storm that comes through that knocks down tons of trees in the waterfront, we get almost no trees down on our property. So wind, it's sort of, it's protected that way. Okay. All right. All right. So, um, <clears throat> normally what I do is I say, okay, A, you're going to make your hugel clusters kind of go up and downhill. So that way the, the air can kind of flow down in between the hugel cultures and go away, which is the opposite of, you know, frost pocket stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what I usually do is I say, make them kind of interlock. So the shapes are wavy as they go down the hill. But the idea is, is that if there's any wind in the area, the wind can't get between them. What I'm going to say to you instead is your primary mission is to get the cold air to pass by. But for the sake of an aesthetic, I want you to include a little bit of wonky wavy. You're not having the problems with the wind that so many other people are. And you don't need to mitigate for wind. Um, But for the sake of artisticness, you're going to, I want you to put some of that wavy in there. Um, also, when you're choosing the logs or branches that go inside, because if you cut down all these trees and you put them all up on blocks to save them for your future building projects, for your future roundwood building projects, you're going to end up with a lot of branches that you are not going to save. And those branches are going to be what goes inside of your hugel culture. Um, and granted, having the full logs would be better, but that's kind of a waste of log. And, um, if it's a rotten log that you pulled out of, like, you know, it's 200 feet up the hill and you drug it down, okay, you're not going to build anything out of a rotten log, but yeah. that rotten log is going to be awesome inside your hugel culture. So, okay, sure. It, it, Fell, do- fell over 15 years ago, and and now it has a purpose. And so, all right. What I'm trying to get to is is that giant straight logs, which are the flavor of logs that you have, um, kind of make for straight hugel cultures. And so you you might want to knock it up into eight foot lengths or something, just so that you can have fascinating shapes to your hugel culture. The other thing I want to say is that when you're laying all this wood down for your hugel culture, you might be tempted to have them all go straight, to all go the same direction. And what I want you to do is um, on some layers to go the opposite direction, and so you'll have shorter pieces. And so do lots of different – every layer is going in a different direction. And then what this does is is it adds structural integrity to your hugel culture. It makes it so that your hugel culture now has a skeleton and it'll be able to be taller with uh more with sides that are more vertical. And so rather so basically a lot of people try to build hugel culture and they end up with something like this. And boy that that makes Sepp Holzer so angry. And so what you want is stuff like this. And then, and then when you're out there and you're like, I want to eat a strawberry. Look, there's one. 
and then you just reach out and you grab it and then you put it in your pie hole like this, as opposed to the other kind, which says, now you must bend over. And if you're going to make strawberry jam, because there's so many strawberries, it turns out you're bending over an awful lot. And then you get this idea that gardening is painful. And I don't want you to have that feeling. I don't want you to have that sensation. So nice, steep sides. And the way that you get that is is with a skeleton. I, I think in your job, you probably are familiar with the skeleton concept. Otherwise, everybody would be kind of a puddle of goo on the ground. The Google um, culture must have good bones is what you're saying. Yeah. Otherwise, it wants to be like this, which would really upset Sep. <clears throat> so, um, I think I, I, I'm kind of wondering if I didn't, if I, if I said enough about the blotchy, I, I, I kind of feel like there might have been, uh, another dozen flavors of blotch to put on the inside. And I, and I'm not sure what that is. But I do want to rip on lasagna gardening for a minute. You probably don't even know what lasagna gardening is, and that's fine. But basically, somebody came up with the idea of, like, I'm going to build a raised bed garden. And so I'm going to put down a layer of all this stuff. And then I'm going to put a layer of something else on top of it. And then a layer of manure. And then a layer of leaves. And then a layer of straw. And then a layer of and, – and it's like, so everything is the same. It is homogenous. But there's a bigger problem, too, and that is that when you have nitrogen-based stuff like the manures and then they get wet and they don't have a lot of air, then they're going to make an impenetrable layer. They're going to glee, and they're going to make it so that when the water lands on them, the water just runs right off. And to make matters worse, because you did it so that everything is exactly the same, everything is equally fucked, and it's kind of like... Okay, I, I don't think we want we want that. Whereas with the blotchy technique, if you've got something and it makes like a little glee basketball, then who cares? It's like it'll decompose in ten years and release all that festering goo later, and um, and and it'll be so eventually it'll be assimilated into the rest. But <clears throat> uh, or maybe it'll be assimilated immediately because of worm earthworms and reasons and things like that. But um, if it's going to glee in any way, then the water runs around it, and who cares? There's, you know, plenty of other soil around. All right. So, Despite, despite my love of lasagna, I will remember the blotch. <laughs> um, <clears throat> right. These are two different things. Lasagna gardening doesn't taste anything like lasagna. Important to remember. So, uh, all right. I would say that, um, so the big thing I'm starting with is, is I'm saying take on a quarter of an acre per year. Oh, um, would you be able to get a mini excavator up your little path? Like how long is your path? Now you can get a truck, like you can, you can barge any like we barged a huge excavator over to the island to do the ponds. So um okay. you can bring – so, yeah, I, I would rent. There's a guy who has an excavator on the island, too, who can do it. So, yeah, I would – I would. Okay. But they, he can get the excavator to go down your little path. That's not yes. a problem. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good, good, good. 
Um, and, uh, cause, cause A, driving an excavator is fun. And, uh, and B, boy, you can build Hugo culture so fast with the help of an excavator. Um, because do it, you can do it with a shovel. And, uh, it's just that <clears throat> by the time you've built something about 40 feet long, you're like, this is stupid. <laughs> But what I'm hoping you'll want to do is do a quarter of an acre. Maybe the year after or the year after that, you'll be like, I want to do more. I want to grow more food. I want to do more of this. This is so delightful, so great. And I want to drive the excavator again because <laughs> that was fun. And it's like, I need a reason to, to fire up the excavator. So, <clears throat> all right. Now, granted, uh, if you were to contact other permaculture people or other landscapers or other gardeners or whatever, each of them would advocate for something very different from what I'm advocating. Um, but uh, 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 there you go. I've, I've started off with, and I'm not even saying berms, because for most people I'm going to say berms because they got wind problems. And it's like, okay, we've got to. Because what I want to do is I want to get to the point where uh, you plant your garden or maybe you even grow so many perennials. But whatever it is that you do, it, it's possible that this whole property will not see any human beings for a month during the summer. Series of events happen, whatever it is. Plus, it's just delightful to have your garden be amazing and awesome uh, whether you're there or not. And so I wish to advocate for a form of gardening where in time you don't ever have to irrigate it and it keeps pumping out your favorite foods. Now, you mentioned something about predators earlier at the beginning. And you said, we don't like, for example, we don't have any bears. And I'm thinking like, what about mosquitoes? Um, but I'm sure you have those and, uh, and I want to point and laugh because we don't really, uh, but, but, uh, so I want to say neener, neener, uh, a little bit. But then there's the whole concept of once you have a garden, you have a whole new kind of predator. In fact, you have a whole bunch. Deer. Are there deer on the island? Yes, there are. And, and the deer, how, do they seem to like eat a lot of conifers? They're, they're like, oh boy, these are tasty. Let me just chomp them down to the point that there's no conifers on this island. Or is it that nobody likes eating conifers, so then they just grow all over the place and the island is now utterly infested with conifers? Yes. So then what you're going to grow is deer candy. And when you're away, the deer are going to stop by and go, om nom nom. Om nom nom. Thanks, Tim. You're the best. And here's fuck all for you. Like, like that. In fact, we left you some pellets. There you go. You can eat, you can eat our shit if you want. <laughs> so. Put it in a blotch now, in the hoogle for growing uh, candy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, some people are like, oh no, that's what I want. Cause here we don't call them deer. We call them venison. I don't know if that's how you roll, but I've had some times when I talked about like, oh, you might want to put a fence around your hugel culture, and I've had people go, no, I don't. <laughs> I want to bring them and then eat them. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, that's their whole plan. So I'm kind of thinking like, um, you know, time to talk about fence, you know, because yeah. deer. Now, another thing is, is that on the hugel culture I have here in Montana, we built it, we planted it, and the next year there were like hundreds of chipmunks all over it, turning it into dirt. They ate everything. And uh, then uh, a couple years later, uh, a feral cat in the area started to stop by. We were like putting out water for it and cat food and 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 next thing you know we you don't see a chipmunk but we have these glorious bountiful gardens but of course um a big part of it where it does the best is inside of a paddock we have one acre that has a fence around it and uh but the stuff that's outside the fence the wild turkeys and the deer uh help themselves and uh if I happen to see them, I'll send them a message, and, which is to piss off. But, all right, there's so much we could talk about for so much of this, but... Hi, this is Mark. Sometimes talking to a friend or family member about permaculture can be met with a blank stare if it's all new to them. A great way to explain some of it can be over a card game using permaculture playing cards, which each have interesting facts with quality illustrations and descriptions. A wide range of people, places, and things, all related to permaculture, can be found on the permaculture playing cards at richsoil.com forward slash cards. Um... There is this concept of having uh, a, a cat around, uh, which Bill Mollison says never have cats, you know, and, and if you want, you can go study what Bill has to say about it. I clearly am okay with cats, and so we have we have cats around now. I, I put a little cat food out each day, not enough to really feed them, but enough to keep them coming around. I, I just want them to stick around, and then they they, you know, eat other things, like chipmunks, and um, all right. So let's talk about this deer, um, little tiny mammals uh, that that love to eat your garden. All the things that love to eat your garden. And uh, I mean, where where are you on this? Give me an idea. Like, do you want to do you want them to come eat your garden, or would you rather they didn't? Uh. So I wouldn't mind eating the odd deer, you know, from time to time, to, but it, it wouldn't be a routine thing for me. Like once we had a bear that swam over the island, and you can't actually hunt on the island, so I got the tag and I, I shot the bear and I ate it, and it was delicious. Um, okay. And it was a very Finnish moment because I actually didn't happen to have any clothes on at the same time that I shot the bear. So it was like an epic Scandinavian moment in my life, which was wonderful. And the beer and the bear tasted very good, but you know, I'm going to, I'm going to need some kind of deer fence for sure, because there'll be lots of times I'm not there. And I don't know if you, you know, a tangle foot fence, like I've seen on your property is enough where you got all those dead branches kind of stacked around or whether I need to do a proper post and wire kind of thing. Uh, I'm open to your thoughts. I, well, I got to, you, you might regret being open to my thoughts. I, I, I had a thought like, cause you said, uh, and no clothes at the time. And my thought was, you mean the bear had no clothes on? Cause that would be, cause if it's like Yogi Bear, that would, 
Like if a bear was wearing like a coat, it's like that might not be an actual bear. And uh but you, you, I think what you're trying to say is you weren't wearing any clothes and you were parked around a gun. I was bear naked, as the saying goes. And so was the bear. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So um good to know. Good to know. And we, we just learned a lot about you <laughs> and a, a little bit about the bear. Um, I, I think we also learned about my mind is a crazy place to have around. But it was a Canadian moment because I was going to the outhouse without clothes on and the bear was coming to the outhouse first. So then I had to decide, you know, Canadians are very polite. Do I, do I let the bear go first or do I go first? But as it turned out, I just ran into the shack and. After you shot the bear, did you tell it sorry? I did. I did. I, I did feel sorry. <laughs> That's a Canadian right there. Sorry. 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 Yeah. So, uh, and then as you're, you know, cutting it up, sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. Uh, all right. So deer and other things. And, and I think, I think the subtext to what you're saying is, is, I, I want to grow a garden and not feed the wildlife. Yeah, and the chipmunks and stuff, we have a lot of owls actually in the area. We have owls and eagles, so they came to, seem to keep those at a certain level. Um, but, you know, you have to Right. See. All the chipmunks that came over to your cabin in order to be able to eat all those conifers, the owls kept them in check. Okay, I understand. Then you grow a quarter acre of chipmunk candy – I wonder if things will change. Yes, it will. Yeah, all right. Yeah, you open up the best you restaurant noted. on the island. Yeah. I think you're going to get you're going to become very popular. And so and uh you might have some people stealing your food. So, all right. Um fence. I think I think uh so I'm thinking of two things. I'm thinking one, a fence to keep the deer out. Uh, and two, I'm thinking about like cat, but you know, you could do something other than cat. Um, because the other thing is I'm trying to also pretend like you're going to, without any notice whatsoever, you're going to be gone from this property for a month. Like something's going to go down or change of plans or something exciting or whatever. And next thing you know, a month will pass and you'll not be there and it'll be the prime season. So I'm kind of thinking along lines of like, okay, we can, you can set up like a cat feeder that doles out a quarter cup of cat food every day at the same time. And it's inside of a shed or something that the cat can get in and out of, or I don't know, something like that. I'm just making this stuff up. Um, and that way it'll cover you for a month, uh, you know, and then, and then the cats around and it's like this, these kitty beans are nice and all, but boy, chipmunks are the best. That's my primary food group is chipmunks. Um, so <clears throat> thinking a little bit about those, but now let's set that aside. Let's talk about deer and deer fence. Now, um, there's a, uh, a couple of different schools of thought. I mean, here I, I've been ex, uh, exploring 
the use of junk pole fence. But I think I have a problem that you don't have. And the junk pole fence solves the problem of wildfires. So it's like uh, here where I'm at, if you don't go out and take out a bunch of those little baby conifers, then a wildfire will. So those baby conifers, they grow in groups of like a thousand all at the same time because they all started off this big and having a thousand of them in a big patch is easy. Then they all grow to be like 12 feet tall, but they're competing with each other so much that 99% of them die at 12 feet tall and then just one out of 99 wins this race to the sun and then lives. Now you have thousands of these dead trees that are 12 feet tall. So uh, in order to fight wildfires, people go and they cut them all down and put them into a big pile, throw a tarp over the pile, and in January they set the pile on fire. That's why half of Montana is so smoky in the wintertime. And so... Um, but in the summertime, it can be worse because of authentic wildfires where people didn't do that. So <clears throat> what we do is we cut them all down, and then we try to use that wood for projects, and we'd make junk pole fence. My guess is, is that that is probably not what you want to do. And so um, <clears throat> because you don't have the problem. Junk pole is slower. And um, now uh, I like, you know, for your situation and and for because it's like if for you going out and dropping a couple of thousand bucks on some uh, metal fence stuff, you're like, I don't know. Whereas other people are going to be like, two thousand dollars. Are you for real? And so. You're not saying that. You're saying $2,000? Okay, sounds about right. So Mike Hosel, my co-author for the Skip book, he has a design that is fascinating, and uh, it's, to, it's to keep deer out. And um, uh, and it's he calls it the wavy fence. And um, basically the thing is, is that if you were to have Two fences, four feet tall. So first of all, junk pole fence, eight feet tall. One fence, eight feet tall, keeps the deer out. And um, and so that's generally your keep the deer out fence design. <clears throat> but there's another design where you have two fences. Each fence is four feet tall. And there's about a three and a half to four foot gap in between those two fences. That also works. There's something about how the deer get there. And it wigs them out, and they won't try to jump it. But if there's one fence that's four foot tall, they go over it like nothing. Easy. Six feet tall, most deer will clear that, too. Not a problem. <clears throat> so, ah, oh, here we go. we got a picture of the wavy fence. So what Mike does is he gets this uh, stuff that's supposed to be for embedding in concrete, so it doesn't have any of that. Um, gick on it that by field fence, then it's going to have, um, <clears throat> oh, what do they call that stuff? 
galvanized. It's not going to be galvanized, which, you know, toxifies the soil underneath it. This is just plain steel. So as you can see, the first thing it does is rust. And it's like, but, you know, rust does not toxify the soil. So what he does is he does this wavy thing, and then he has like this wire that he attaches along the top edge, but it follows the outermost edges of the wavy fence. And he might tie a little something, and you can kind of see it in this picture. He might tie a little something onto that wire. And so then the deer get to it, and it's like having those two four-foot-tall fences right next to each other. And um, the people that have tried this have uh, said that it's working. Now, it's possible that their deer pressure is not particularly high, but, you know, it sounds like it is working, and it has been effective. It's so quick to install. It's cheaper than most fence. And on on top of that, I mean, it's only good for really keeping out deer. Chickens can just go through it. But I, I think Mike like will actually add chicken wire to the bottom to keep chickens in it. But that's another story for another day. I'm thinking that for you, this wavy fence might be a good thing to put around your garden. But of course, it does require flatness. That's, that is, you know, one of the downsides of this. It's gotta be flat where you put this. So, all right. I like the wavy fence. I like the curves. Curves are good. Curves are good. Yeah, I like, I hope you put plenty of curves in your hugel cultures too. Okay. So, you started off talking about your property and you said something about garden. Or I, the subtext was, I want to grow food. And so, it begins. Now, granted, what you plant in it is is going to you know take a while to talk about, but I want to. Have you read Mark Shepard's book, uh, Restoration Agriculture? No. Okay. So here's the sixty second summary. Um, annuals suck. Perennials are best. And uh, um, so he's kind of suggesting rather than growing like ninety five percent annuals. Instead, grow 95% perennials. On top of that, in the book, he talks about something he calls stun, sheer, total, utter neglect. And I want to say that, you know, so what he's doing is he's planting perennials. He does baby them for the first year or two. And then he gives them a tiny bit of care, like on years three and four. But this is all in an effort for them to get to a certain point where he doesn't have to do any care at all. He's going to get them to the point that he'll do nothing to care for them. And then they'll grow on their own as perennials. And then uh, nuts are at the core, you know. So nuts, grapes. um, uh, I mean, I'm sure... I'm sure you, and uh, apples are going to not do as well in your area, 
But I always want to talk about apples. And, and it's like, because I believe that everybody has seen, and I'm sure you've seen this too, a giant apple tree that has received zero care for the last 20 years. And yet, every year, it pours out this giant crop of apples. You yeah. have seen this tree. Yeah. Everybody that is watching this right now or listening to this right now has has seen this tree. To me, that is permaculture. And so, um, but basically, Mark Shepard in his book, I mean, I knew perennials were the core of permaculture, but boy, that book made me think like I'm a weak chump and I haven't been doing perennials enough. Mm-hmm. And he paints a beautiful picture of how how we need to be more into perennials and much less into annuals. But of course, when you grow a hookah culture and you grow, have you grown many gardens before him? Uh, yeah, you know, like in my yard in the city, I've grown tomatoes, potatoes, lettuce, very basic stuff. Um, annuals. Hey, listen yeah. to all those annuals. You're an annuals yeah. kind of guy. Okay, all right, so I, all right. I got two. I got two apple trees. I got a plum tree. Uh, in my yard in the city here too, so some of that stuff too. Um, but yeah, not very successfully because I'm excellent at the sheer total and utter neglect aspect of gardening. Yeah. That's a yeah. I, for me. <laughs> I love the idea of getting to the point where the, where the permaculture dream or the permaculture promise is that you'll have this plot and food just, there's Mark Shepard. You'll have this plot where the food just keeps coming out year after year after year with zero care. And if you go and you put a little bit of care in, you might double or triple your crop. But for the most part, there's no care. And um, I, I really want to push for that angle. Um, <clears throat> so... The hugel culture, I mean, you already have such a crazy amount of precipitation. What is the soil like there? Is it is it gravelly? Yeah, so I think there's one picture there that shows us. It's sort of gravelly, sandy. Um, maybe I didn't post that. There was a, uh, one that shows kind of this gravel bed. might be a bit later. There's my rainwater harvesting for the water for the summer. Um, yeah, so it's not, it's not awesome soil. I might not have, okay. maybe that one didn't make the post, but, uh, there's one of my other open areas. There's my filtration pond, actually. Um, okay. But yeah, it's not, it's not great soil. So building the soil up and, you know, uh, would be key. So I want to, <clears throat> first I want to, I want to say, Wood chippers are evil. I want you to never touch one. I don't, I don't want you to ever touch wood chips. I don't want you to, I mean, for whatever you do, you're going to have a little bit of sawdust or wood chips here and there that come naturally from your permaculture activities. And then, um, and wood, wood chips and sawdust are an amazing mulch. Never put that stuff inside of a hugel culture. Uh, this is a, 
bad idea all all the way through. Okay. At the same time, it's like um, there's a concept called carbon farming, and it's like uh, when it comes to gardening, this is a great way to kind of think about it. It's, it's kind of like when you have logs inside your hugel culture, they're like almost pure carbon. And as a result, what happens is is that um, any nutrients that happen by have parking places now to hang out until they can get to the plants. And this includes nitrogen. Um, and so as well as water. But now as much as the amount of water that you get is like rainforest levels, I'm going to guess and you tell me how wrong I am. I'm going to guess that there's a two-month span in the middle of summer where it pretty much doesn't rain. That's correct, yeah. And last year was like three and a half months of almost no rain. So in in which case I want to so, – so a lot of people are watching this or listening to this, and they're kind of like um, 99 inches of rain a year. That's a lot. You're gonna, you don't even need to irrigate. And it's like, oh, oh, funny thing, funny thing. You better irrigate. Um, now I do want to get to the point where we don't have to irrigate anymore, but because your so-called soil is basically gravel, which is pretty common in your area. Yeah. And and the reason is is that this is why I love Montana and I think your island is stupid is because I can build soil and the people in Finland they can build soil. But you're in an island near Vancouver and it's like um it's too warm. It's I mean as much as it freezes there and then there's ice that you bounce off of and whatever else when you think you're jumping into it and that was probably hilarious. And at the same time, it's still so warm that all the microbials in the soil party year round. Whereas here in Montana, they they have to hit the pause button on that party through the winter because it's too cold. Whereas where you're at, it's not too cold, and they just keep on going. So they. Any organic matter that was in your soil, the little microbials wiped it all out. And it didn't help to have all these conifer trees around. They helped to turn soil into dirt as well, uh, and the gravel. And so it's kind of like, all right, with these hugel cultures, we're going to attempt to build soil. And in order to build soil, then the first few years, we're going to plant a lot of stuff that's going to add carbon to our hugel cultures, <clears throat> as well as uh, stuff that's going to add nitrogen, and we're going to have to irrigate. I imagine that you have some means of irrigating. I mean, there was if nothing else. There's a pond there. You could buy a bucket. <laughs> but but my guess is there's you've got a lot more that you can do there as far as being able to irrigate. Now, I'm going to say that for the first year, you're going to have to irrigate it like you would a normal garden. The second year, you're going to irrigate it half as much. And the third year, you won't have to irrigate at all unless, you know, 
Unless, unless you gotta do it like once in the middle of the hottest part of the summer or something. But by the third year, things are gonna start rotting on the inside enough that it'll be more spongy and it's gonna be able to really hold water, um, for a long time. But, uh, on the fourth year, you should be all golden. You should be all set. So, because hugel culture is soil on wood, um, Gravel on wood is a great way to preserve wood, which is not what you're really after here. So we're going to try to build soil since we started off without it. We're going to make the best of it. All right. Now, we've talked about hugel culture. We've talked about uh, fence. We've talked a little bit about what to plant. Now, and all of this is because you alluded to garden. Now I've, I've filled more than an hour with my thoughts in this space. Where would you like to go from here? Well, I, I think I'll have to book you for another hour just to talk about the food forest aspect and where to put that around it or in it or around it. I don't know. So usually when you do a food forest – I mean, it's going to be – so you got all these hugel cultures, and if, if you end up with a bunch of, uh, I don't know, fruit trees and nut trees and stuff like that, do you now have a food forest? Yeah. Yeah, you do, I guess. So you, you've incorporated it basically in that. I do think that there's a lot of wisdom to the sun scoop shape where you kind of – you know, you could make a hugel culture that say ten feet tall, and it's in a and it's and it's a sun shape facing the south. So, so the you know the south really hits it, and then that ends up being your warmest spot on the whole property. And in the middle of the sun scoop is like a flat patch to apparently grow a stupid garden, but um. But you could have this whole food forest be in this sun scoop shape and and do that. But I kind of feel like um I don't know. I mean that's that's novel and everything, and you do end up with a warmer spot. But I also kind of feel like, okay, let's say you make this big sun scoop shape. And so now the theory is you get this big flat spot in the middle of the sun scoop shape. What are you going to do with it? You're going to grow some lame, flat garden? And and what I'm saying is, nuh-uh, I'm going to make more hugel culture in there. In which case, we're right back to what I was just talking about. Just make it all over the place and grow a bunch of uh, perennials on it. And next thing you know, you got a food forest. Great. So, I don't know. I, I'd say start with the quarter acre. And, yeah, when you do your next quarter acre, maybe go with some kind of giant-ass sun scoop shape. And, uh, sure. And then, uh, I, I suspect that when you get five years down the road, I'm not sure if you get a lot of the sun scoop shape. Now, the other thing I want to, I want to guess at, it never really gets super hot there. Doesn't get, doesn't even get really muggy, is a guess. No, it's it stays, like, 
It's like, it's like 24 to 28 is the hottest. You know, some hot days, because we're in this valley, it is a bit of a micro... Sorry, Celsius, Fahrenheit. I don't know what the hell it is in Fahrenheit. <laughs> I got no idea. Let's leave anyway, the numbers out. It's, it's warm, it's but not hot. Yeah. yeah. It's not it's muggy. Not no. It's not muggy. It's, it's pretty comfortable. Yeah. And then... Uh, <clears throat> And then in, uh, during the summer, even when it gets cool, it's not cold. It's it's like yeah. it's a it's a cooler flavor of comfortable. And so yeah. the, during the day, the sun's on you, and it's a warmer flavor of comfortable. Okay. So in a tropical area, people will want to make swales, and in a way, they're intentionally making a, a frost pocket. Then they're kind of making a place where it will be cool. On a hot day, because it can be so brutally hot, but you don't have that problem. And if, and the only real problem you have is going to be like, in my gardens, I want a longer growing season because I can grow more fun things. Now, it is possible, for example, you could do a reverse sun scoop, or you could make a swale or something like that and make a cold spot. You could choose to make a frost pocket. And inside that frost pocket, you might grow things. You could, you could even name this frost pocket. You could say, this is, this frost pocket is called Little Finland. And inside of this frost pocket, I grow apples and pears and rhubarb and things that don't love Vancouver very much. Things, things that love Finland more. Love it. Okay. All right. All right. I think I think what I heard in the subtext of love it is I have earned my beans. You have earned the beans. Thank you. I've learned a lot. That's awesome. Oh good. <clears throat> good. All right. Uh now, um I don't I haven't been watching the chatty chat, but uh Andreas, is there anything in the chatty chat that you wanna put up on the screen here that's like a Q and A kind of thing or something like that, or are we just gonna call it good? Maybe Andreas wasn't prepared for this moment. There have been some general questions, but nothing uh, nothing that stands out. Okay. I may have covered the questions moments later. All right. All right. Okay. Tim, uh, are we good to end it here? Yeah. Thank you, and welcome to Vancouver, and I will treat you to a Finnish cultural sauna experience that will blow your mind anytime. So i got to say – I, I'm not much of a sauna person. You're saying sauna, oh, which no. to my American tongue, it's like hard to say that, but, uh, uh, I just never really got into it. I, I've, I've had many opportunities for that and I just, I don't know why I, I'm not into it. You um, gotta get the steam. The, the steam is the joy, not this hot, dry stuff. That's a blasphemy. I've done the steam thing too. And, okay. and it's like, I don't know. I'm just, I just get bored. And, uh, but that's just me. I'm, I, I, I'm totally cool with the idea of I'm too weird. Uh, 
so there's there's that. The other thing is is that uh, I think the last time I was in ca- Canada and I did go to Vancouver Island um, to uh, our eco village. Have you been there? I don't know if you've no. been there. So I went there, but that was in 2005, and it was such an ordeal to get across the border and then back that it's like you know what I've 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 heard stories. We've had a lot of people from Canada come here to my place for like a week or two or a month or two, and um and when I hear the stories about crossing the border, it's like yeah you know what I I I think I'm good right where I am. Um, so I tend to not. I, I have, I've had like four or five offers for big bucks to go to Canada and like look at a property or something like that. And it's like, I'm going to let it go. And so yeah, the, the body cavity search is never a great way to start your day. <laughs> uh, I have not had that. I haven't heard of that, but, um, I, I have heard that they're kind of like wanting passports now. Yeah. As opposed yes, to just are. a driver's license. And it's like, uh, and I don't have a passport. Um, uh, and I'm just thinking, like, I think I can go the rest of my life just staying in the United States. So I okay. I have gotten on an airplane to go as far as, like, I think I went to Tennessee, I think, last year. Yeah, I think it was last year. And I was invited to speak at an event. And I think that might be the farthest I have flown in a very long time. Although I do want to say I'm open to events, if somebody wants to have me be, come and be a speaker or something in Hawaii, I have never been to Hawaii. <laughs> somebody set up an event, <laughs> you know. I, I, somebody was going to set up an event like ten years ago, <clears throat> and I got on the phone with Jeff Lawton, and he said he would go, and Willie Smith said he would go. I'm not sure if they could still go, but the event fell through and it never happened. Um, so, uh, oh. Something about Sawana. Been trying. Okay. I, yeah, I don't know how to. So, uh, anyway, I, thank you for the invitation. I, I suspect that I will not come to Canada again. That's okay. Uh, I might, I may come to you someday. Learn at the that feet would be of delightful. the master. Yeah. That, well, I don't know how mastery I am. You might be disappointed, but I, I do. I, I do feel like we call it the separate program where somebody comes and rents one of our humble cabins. And I want to go on record saying <clears throat> I'm a little disappointed that they're not full. We have a few suppers right now, but uh, I, I wish I wish we had more. We have, I don't know, I think we have enough supper bunks to have more than a dozen people here at one time. And I find it so enjoyable when people are here and doing stuff, you know, with the boot camp or not. And uh, I wish that we had more. I, I feel like it would move all of our projects forward. Plus, it's just to have a diversity of people here is always good. Um, yeah, I, I enjoy that. Yeah. So um, if you – I love the idea. Come on down. Yes. We're in Montana. We're not that far away. Not close. <laughs> close. All right. If you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about hugel culture, homesteading, and permaculture all the time. All the time. 
Hey, this is T. Blankenship. Are you a fan of pie? Where there is pie at permies.com. This pie grants the user of secret access. You also get free things like videos of Wheaton Labs, the ability to add two thumbs up, two posts, and more. To get pie, go to permies.com forward slash pie to get the inside scoop of what pie can do for you. Again, that is permies.com forward slash pie.